Um, so we're going to be in Psalm 62 this morning, and you can open your Bible, uh, you can read the words in your chat, or you can just close your eyes and listen, um, but however you do it, let's give our full attention to the reading of God's Word. Psalm 62, for God alone my soul awaits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person their prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, this morning, uh, we feel acutely um, some of the realities of that scripture that with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. The reality of extortion, the reality of being assailed. And so it is good news, it is good news to us that salvation comes from you. This morning we gather up uh, all that we are, all that's on our hearts and minds, whether globally, nationally, locally, personally, and we bring all these things to you. And we say, Spirit of God, speak through the word of God to the people of God. In Jesus' name, everyone on Zoom said, Amen. Yeah, I, I still miss hearing you say amen. So I appreciate the Zoom amens always, always. Well, uh, good morning again, church. Um, it really is a gift to be together, and I really am glad to be back. Um, not how I was planning on being back. You know, I spent all of Tuesday uh, preparing this sermon because that's what I like to do on Tuesdays. And as you can imagine, it's a little different uh, this morning than what it was on Tuesday night. Um, but that's all right. The spirit is in that. Um, here in the USA, we just broke a 220-year streak of celebrating a peaceful transfer of power. Now, if I was the CEO of a corporation, 
you know, say the United States and we had a 220 year streak, I would be like, wow, great job, folks. Let's get another one going. Um, but honestly, um, what I felt this week is grief, right? And then my grief then be, like went into anger. And then, you know, I don't know. I started just doing all the cycles of grief. So I Googled the cycle of grief to learn more about it. And apparently it's actually not considered a good resource anymore, but it was happening to me. So and anyway, the point is um, there is grief, there is rage, there is shame and fear. And in the midst of all that, it is so tempting to be reactive. You know what I mean? To get into urgent mode, to feel like we have got to do something now. We've got to make dramatic shifts and dramatic changes and act with speed. Um, and there certainly is an urgency to this moment. And um, I am praying and I encourage you to pray with me um, for law enforcement officials, for politicians, for leaders, um, for people tasked with the responsibility of guiding our country and curbing abusive behaviors. But at the same time, you know, for us, access, as a people who have been diligently seeking Jesus and following him on his way of justice, I think it would actually be a mistake to allow the events of this week to pull us completely off the priorities God has already shown us. I mean, think about this. Uh, it, this fall, we set out a vision for 2021 that God would lead us in transformation and health and justice. And family, we're going to need those things regardless of who is in office and regardless of how they got there. Amen? I mean, we need that stuff regardless. Which in my family, if you say regardless, that means that's the end of the argument. So regardless, we need it. And as God leads us in transformation and health and justice, there's some key practices that actually allowed us to thrive in 2020. And I want to name them explicitly because uh, we will need them in 2021. So to help us understand why the Holy Spirit worked so powerfully among us, to help us understand what motivated us to deliver uh, 1,200 lunches, to uh, friends who live outside, what motivated us to deliver thousands of dollars to undocumented people who weren't receiving government assistance, what motivated us to reach out to one another in love so that every small group in the church was growing, what motivated us to have powerful experiences in worship. I want to name them explicitly because what helped us thrive in 2020, we will also need for 2021. And these practices come from an ancient body of Christian witness, and they lay a necessary foundation for a relationship with God that transforms us and then flows out to transform the world. And these practices have allowed communities of believers to thrive in the face of oppression and injustice for thousands of years. And I'm following in the footsteps of uh, Pastor Rich Biodas in, in New York City, who's written a book called The Deeply Formed Life, I certainly commend it to you, um, where he identifies five critical practices for us who desire that the life of Jesus would be formed deeply in us. Uh, Pastor Rich recommends, and I agree, that these practices are contemplative spirituality, 
racial reconciliation, self-examination, sexual wholeness, and missional presence. Now I want to take care um, because when we apply these disciplines in a way that is inconsistent with the life of Jesus or out of step with the Spirit, they become soul-crushing burdens. Amen? I know somebody knows what I'm talking about. I mean, too many of us have experienced an approach to these things that has been damaging. That's actually led us away from trusting in the grace of God. Or maybe the, the approach was appropriate for a previous season of your life. But in this season, maybe uh, at the age your children are at, or at the stage your employment or your relationship is in, it's not working out in this season. So let's take care to think about these things, not in terms of uh, pressure and performance and guilt, uh, but in terms of paying attention to what God is already doing. Because our ability to thrive in the last year and our ability to thrive going forward is related to our participation and pursuit of these practices, contemplative spirituality, racial reconciliation, self-examination, sexual wholeness, and missional presence. If you agree with me, let me get a Zoom amen. All right. All right. A couple folks. A couple of us are not sure. We've got some baggage. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to dial in on contemplative spirituality. Um, contemplative spirituality is essentially the practice of slowing down and paying attention to God so that we learn to see God in more times and more places. And, you know, one of the adjustments that I made this morning, I almost didn't preach this sermon. I was almost like, you know what, forget about it. Forget about it. Let's do like an emergency sermon and we're going to like shave our heads. Wait, I can't do that. I already did. We're going to like grieve and mourn in some kind of powerful way. Um, but as I, as I uh, was encouraged by the vision and ministry team to just wait, wait for the Holy Spirit, um, I received again the conviction that in urgent times, contemplative spirituality becomes more important, not less. So I'm going to trust that God is laying a foundation for us uh, to face whatever it is we're going to have to face here. Um, so contemplative spirituality is, is, again, the practice of slowing down and paying attention to God so that we learn to see God in more times and more places. The practice of slowing down and paying attention so that we learn to see God in more times and more places. It's practices like scripture, reading it in a slow, meditative way. Not to get information, but to encounter God. It's practices like, like silence. Just trusting that our silent attention to God is a real prayer. Friday Night Small Group just did this. Praying for each other in silence. What a beautiful thing. It's a practice like Sabbath. Intentionally stopping our work for one day out of seven to celebrate and enjoy the Creator and the creation. It's a practice like stability. Uh, the choice to remain relationally connected to the same community of believers over time. To tolerate the annoyances and disturbances and trust that in that process God is forming us. When we slow down in contemplation, I believe that God reveals reality to us. 
I believe when we slow down in contemplation, we begin to see reality as God reveals the truth of our security in him, as God deconstructs the dominant social order, and as God reveals the power and love that is present in the shape of creation. When we slow down in contemplation, God reveals reality to us. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. We see this phrase in verses 1 and 2 and then again in 5 and 6. And as the psalmist, the, the writer is waiting for God in silence, they're reminded that their salvation comes only from God. From God and not from people from God and not from systems, from God and not from circumstances, from God and not from political realities. Our healing and our well-being and our security, starting now and lasting through eternity, come from God alone. The slow reading of Scripture is a necessary foundation for our engagement with an unjust world. And and. Let me help us out. I'm going to give us what the eggheads call a hermeneutical key. You ready? The overwhelming majority of scripture is written by the oppressed for the oppressed. Okay? A couple exceptions. Chronicles, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, But overall, 63 out of 66 books in our Protestant Bible are written by the oppressed for the oppressed. It is their testimony of God's healing and saving power in the face of injustice. And oppressed people need a narrative to live by that the dominant culture can't offer. And that's what scripture gives us. And I often think about our reality here in the USA, this reality that the framers of the Constitution never intended for people of color to be citizens of this country. How... Uh, Supreme Court cases as recently as the 20th century specifically said that Asians could not be citizens of this country. They made special laws for that. And the state of California in the 20th century specifically passed laws to prevent Filipinos from exercising their rights. They specifically passed laws to prevent biracial people like me and my sister from existing. It was the law. (laughs) I get a thumbs up from dad. He's like, no way. We are not doing this. And as folks, as I digested those images of insurrection in the Capitol, intended once again to prevent people of color from participating in our democratic process, I began to feel the weight of a national history that does not see me as a human being. And folks, I am a very privileged person. I am privileged in virtually every way. And yet we have this reality and I was feeling that weight and I was in Winco on Friday morning and I just began to feel so much grief and and I wanted to grab every brown and black person I saw and say, they're trying to make us feel like we're not human. And on Friday afternoon, I was trying to decide whether to keep this text that I selected earlier or to scrap it and do something new. And as I was pacing around, Verse 7 hit me. On God rests my salvation and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. 
From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will never be shaken. And I was moved. I was crying in the family room. I was just a little bit better Friday afternoon than I was Friday morning because the slow reading of Scripture gives us a narrative of our security in God. And as we slow down in contemplation, as we wait for God in silence, the Spirit begins to deconstruct the dominant order. In verse 4, they take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Isn't that the thing about a country that claims all men are created equal, but never really meant it? The psalmist is able to name their experience of being assailed, of being abused. They're able to name the ways that the dominant order is built on false promises, offering blessing, but delivering curse. Come on, somebody. Verse 9 and 10 develop this theme even further. Those of lowest state are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up, meaning if you weigh them on a scale to find out what's in there, they're both nothing. Together, they are lighter than a breath. Ultimately, the contemplative life will cause us to question the very order of the way things are. You know, when we think about folks who change the world, we tend to think of their action, don't we? And we see the images of, of Dr. King in the street. We see the image of Mother Teresa lifting up the leper in Calcutta. We, we think about the Underground Railroad and folks, you know, running through the forest under the cover of night. But we don't often think about that many of the most powerful movements for social change are rooted in the silent contemplation of Jesus. Ah, Mother Teresa who launched that global movement of mercy towards the poor, famously said that when she prays, she and God simply sit together in silence and listen to each other. Dr. King, after a threat to his life, uh, described receiving a powerful assurance from God that he had to continue preaching the gospel as he waited for God in silence. John Woolman if you don't know that name, Google that name. John Woolman, an American Quaker minister in the 18th century, was praying in silence when, when he received the conviction that the American institution of slavery was against God's will. And he spent the rest of his life working to end it. Imagine how ridiculous it was to question the institution that made America possible. Can you imagine what that was like? When Brother John tried to tell his slave-owning brothers and sisters, hey, this is against God's will. John, don't you understand our economy depends on it? Don't you understand that this is what makes our nation possible? How are we going to live if we stop owning slaves? And yet in silence, he received this insight that deconstructed the social order. All of these champions of social change received direction from God, not because they were busy, but because they were silent. And finally, contemplation helps us to see that there is power and love in the shape of creation. Verse 11 says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God 
and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. There is a shape to creation. There is power and love in that shape. There is power that, that created the heavens and the earth, a power that was here before our government and our laws were, and a power that will still be here when our government and our laws are no more. And that power is full of love. It says steadfast love. It's that, it's that Hebrew word chesed that, that talks about a loving kindness. The creator, the same hands that were strong enough to dig out a space for the oceans, reach out to us with love and with kindness. And it says that part about uh, you repay all according to their work. I tell you what, that used to make me very anxious because I thought God was finna punish my dirty, dirty deeds. That God was finna hold me accountable for the sins of all the people I come from and that he just like was on the verge of sending me to hell. But if we think about that, let's remember that scripture was not written by people who were obsessing over theological fine points. Scripture was written by the oppressed for the oppressed as they had a living encounter with the God who delivered them from evil. And what it's saying here, you will repay all according to their work. It's saying you will not let evil go unchallenged and you will not let goodness be trampled on forever. You repay all according to their work. There is a shape to creation, a shape of power and love that's evident in the way the Spirit gently sustains the earth, bringing life to living things bringing the seasons in their proper time, sending the night to cool us off from the heat of the day, sending rain in the spring to make life be abundant around us. There's a shape to creation. And goodness will not be trampled on forever. The thing that helps me see that shape better than anything else has been the practice of Sabbath the practice of finding a day in my week, a 24, or if you can swing it, 36 hour period of resting from work to enjoy how good God is and how much God loves us. And sometimes on that Sabbath day, I take some extra time to pray. And sometimes on that Sabbath day, I don't take any time to pause and pray. I just get up, I eat some sweet bread, I watch a cartoon with my kids, and I have a good time. But it's that practice of resting from our work. Pastor Rich uh, says it this way, uh, Sabbath is not just rest from making things. It's rest from the need to make something of ourselves. It is a profound acknowledgement that God has already made creation good. It's a way of resisting dominant culture narratives that tell us we must earn our place or perform to be accepted. Sabbath is rest from the need to make something of ourselves because we've already been made good by God. So I want to move us to prayer. Um, and as I close and just offer these practices, practices to give us a foundation in the face of injustice, I want to remind us always, pray as you can, 
not as you can't. It's not my words, that's somebody else. What I mean is certain practices, yeah, here we go. Sherry says, rest from striving. Yes, rest from striving, exactly. Um, We may have ideas in our mind about how scripture works or about how silence works, about Sabbath or stability that seem unattainable, right? And if it does not fit with your life, then God probably has a different way of expressing that to you. Gus and I were sitting on the porch in front of my office uh, in November sometime, and we spent a few moments in silence. And, um, you know, in, what, what is silence like on Southeast 72nd Avenue? Well, there are some semi-trucks that drive by, okay? There are some people standing outside the bu- pub doing questionable social distancing, talking loudly on their cigarette break, okay? So what I want to encourage us is to seek a form of silence. Seek a, I mean, parents, seek a form of Sabbath. Pastor Rich has, has young kids, and so on the Sabbath, he spends all day with his kids. He goes, at the Sabbath, sometimes I'm more tired than I was at the start of the Sabbath, by the end of it. But even so, seek a way to, to rest from one of your jobs, all right? Um, and ultimately, we do all these things. Why? Because we want to experience the goodness of Jesus, We want a profound transforming experience of Jesus that transforms us and transforms the world around us. Um, And he's the one who offers us security. He's the one who deconstructs oppressive orders. He's the one who reveals the goodness and love in the shape of creation. So as we close, let's pray together. Power belongs to you, O God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. Power belongs to you, O God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. Jesus, thank you that there is security in you. And thank you that you deconstruct the falsehoods and the lies of oppressive orders. And thank you that you reveal to us the power and love in the way that you have made us, in the world you have placed us in. Holy Spirit, would you remove every barrier that keeps us from experiencing those realities, barriers outside of us and inside of us. God, we pray to be led in following you, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would transform us and transform the world around us as we walk in the way of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, church.